Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. All right, let's get rocking and rolling. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to have on uh, the man himself from the Hard Man Podcast. This is Eric Kahn. Eric, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, why don't we pray, and then we'll talk about a bunch of good stuff, including some hunt, hunting, not hunting, some hunting. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I pray that you would lead this discussion, help us to have a... God, I pray to be fun. I pray that my listeners would be encouraged and strengthened by by hearing from Eric, and I, I just ask that you'd guide the time. I thank you for all that Eric's doing and, and that you're all that you're leading him in, and we just trust, God, that you're going to guide this time. Thank you for, for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, for those that may not be familiar with you and your work, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm married. Uh, I've been married for 15 years. I have three children, three boys. Uh, kind of going back to my education, I am a journalism, sports journalism uh, major. So that was my background was sports writing and the newspaper industry. Uh, after that, after I got out of college, I went to seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, after that, I went back into the journalism world. Um, I was working in the hunting and outdoor space, firearms uh, magazines. Um, I did that for a while, and then I sort of have done both, uh, both pastor and do that at the same time. Uh, pastored for three years in Colorado. Awesome. All right, let's ask a couple extremely important questions. Uh, tell us about your first whitetail deer hunt, your first elk hunt, and then how do you get that into that hunting gig? And just just tell us about your life with hunting. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think the first question was first whitetail yeah, yeah. deer. First, first whitetail. Tell us about it. I think this goes all the way back to Oklahoma in something like, gosh, I don't know, 2005, maybe. My, my first white-tailed deer was a 10-point buck out of Oklahoma. Nice. Man, that's great. So, yeah, that was an exciting hunt. Um, if I remember correctly, I think I shot it with a 308 uh, AR-10 platform. Uh, was a industry, I think an industry deal uh, in the firearms world. A lot of kid. But it was really once I, I found a job actually at Peterson's Hunting Magazine, part of the Guns and Ammo family. Mm-hmm. And I remember applying for that job and they told me, they said, well, there's one, one thing we have to check with you on this job is that you have to, you have to be able to willing to go on hunts. <laughs> like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, well, twist my arm. I guess I can do that. And this was something for me. I mean, I had dreamed about it all my life. Like I read Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, and I thought, man, that would be so awesome one day, you know, to be able to do that for a living, write about yeah. firearms. Uh, and go hunting. Um, so that was the first whitetail. First, gosh, I think my first elk, I was like 13. I shot a cow elk in Colorado uh, with my grandpa's 30-06, 1903 nice. Springfield. So that was that was a good memory too. Man, that's cool. So I, I picked up a 308 this year. Oh, cool. And the, and the plan is to, I've got a place in Minnesota to hunt black bear for free. So, oh, great. Yeah, I've got to pick up a tag. It's like 231 bucks is all it is. It's in a no quota area in Minnesota. And so it's a pretty, pretty sweet deal. And uh, I plan on going next about a year from now, actually, I had an opportunity to go this year, but my wife is pregnant. 
and it was, wasn't the, <laughs> wasn't the right time to go this year. And so I'm going to go next year. That's, um, that's a smart move by the way. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I, I used biblical wisdom to, to, uh, yes. to know when to go bear hunting and when not to, that's uh, cool. yeah. Okay. So at some point I'm assuming that you went to a Baptist seminary. It sounds like maybe were you Baptist at one point, tell us about how you, and if not, then just tell us, uh, I guess you've been, if you've been Presbyterian the whole way, just say I've been Presbyterian the whole way. But if you did switch from being Baptist to Presbyterian, tell us about how that happened. Yeah. So I went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The reason I went there was because I was, uh, I think on Desiring God's website. So this is going way back. John Piper, whom I had listened to and been converted under, had listed out, I knew I wanted to go to seminary. I knew I wanted to be a pastor or study God's word and teach and preach God's word. But hey, can, can I interrupt real quick, Eric? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, wait. So you didn't, grow, did you not grow up in a Christian home at all? I did not, no. Okay, well, tell us about your conversion then. And then let's get back to that in a second. Yeah, so absolutely. So I was in college. I was a journalism major and a philosophy major, classical philosophy. And I, I, I would have told you I was a Christian. I knew enough about church. People say, you know, I see people at, events sporting events they'd say hey we you know people wanting to evangelize you mm-hmm. and they say well you know are you a christian i said yeah i'm a christian well, they say why and i said well jesus died for my sins and that was about the extent of it okay um but it was it was really in college i mean i didn't read my bible didn't go to church any of those things and really in college i started working in office max and i had a pretty foul mouth and was pretty vulgar um, and there was this girl at work who I thought was just the weirdest person in the world. And she would like memorize Bible verses on her breaks. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I thought maybe she was a Mormon because only a Mormon would do something <laughs> <Right>. that weird. <laughs> um, and so we, we had these radios at work that we would talk onto each other and I would harass some of the other guys. And she asked me one time, she was like, you claim to be a Christian, don't you? And I was like, well, yeah. And she said, well, none of the way you live or speak or act is very Christian at all. And I was kind of like, wow, that, how dare you, lady? Mm-hmm. Tell me these right. things. Yeah. Um, so we kind of struck up a relationship. And through her, she, she, she actually turned out to be a pastor's daughter. Okay. And um, through her, we came to church. Um, we were there for a couple of weeks. Just a young couple had kind of latched on to me and my wife. And through that, we started the discipleship process with them. We'd meet on like Saturday mornings. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman, Rob, he gave me during that process, he said, well, you're a philosophy guy. You'll probably like this book. And it was Desiring God. Ah, okay. And I remember, yeah, reading this book. And I think kind of two things struck me was, first of all, I don't love God. I, I have no affection, no feeling, no, no anything for God. I don't even know who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the first thing. And then through listening, reading that book and then listening uh, to John Piper's sermons, I picked up uh, Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Okay. And it was like getting hit with like a 10,000 pound sledgehammer. Mm. Uh, just because I, rem- I remember reading that and thinking like, there's no way I'm a Christian. And like you hit that point where you realize it, you know it. But then you get to the end of the mortification of sin and Owen just presents the gospel. Hmm. And I, that, that's really just what blew me away. And that was kind of the first time I, I remember praying like, Lord, open my eyes. I, I don't understand any of these things. Um, and, and really through that, just fell in love with the gospel, fell in love with Christ and the word. Hmm. Um, and that, that, so that was in college. Uh, 
think about my my sophomore year. Yeah, so, really from that point forward, just um, and that it was kind of simultaneous with developing a desire to uh, be in ministry okay. in some capacity. Okay, so then fast forward, you end up finishing college, and yep. you got, it sounds like you got married young. Do you get married pretty young? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I had just turned 20. Okay, so you get married at 20, you're in seminary, or you're in college, you become a Christian, then you're going to seminary. So you go to Southern, the, I'm going to get this right, the Southern Seminary. And uh, at some point along the way, you bump into a mutual friend of ours, Bill Smith. I don't know if he played that's a right. part in this, but tell us how, how you became Presbyterian. Yeah, so originally, I think when, when I started to have questions, um, you know, having come from a Baptist background, every church we went to was not necessarily Southern Baptist, but Baptistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fine until we started having children. And like we were catechizing our children and they were very young. I remember my oldest was maybe like four and we would do communion in church and he would look at me and he'd say, Daddy, why don't I believe in Jesus? Why don't I get to eat? Why don't I get to participate in the life of the body? Um, and that really started the, just sort of the wheels turning in my mind, like, yeah, I, I don't really have a good answer for him right now. Um, so somewhere along the way, I don't remember exactly how, I think through a friend who went to Boyce College, um, he recommended, he said, yeah, go go talk to Bill. Bill used to be a Southern Baptist pastor. He probably understands some of the, the tensions and the, the, you know, theological issues that you're dealing with. So we, we started going to that church, Presbyterian PCA church, mm-hmm. got to know Bill and his family. Um, and it was probably, a, I'd say probably a year and a half process of just reading um, different books, a lot of Doug Wilson, stuff like that. And then I started to realize like, yeah, I think my kids are part of the covenant. And, um, you know, eventually we had them all, had them all baptized and, mm. and became, uh, became Presbyterian. It was kind of interesting because that meant, well, I'm going to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Right. And at the time I was getting a 50% uh, discount, you know, for, for, you know, being a Southern Baptist. And so mm-hmm. I contacted the seminary and I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm going to have to either pay full price or do something different just out of, you know, integrity. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't take that discount uh, in good conscience. So really from there, we had a, there were other conflicts going on. Um, one of which was I really became disgusted with the way that seminary life was antithetical to family life. Hmm. Um, a lot of the students that I know, my friends, you know, they're working night jobs, they're going to school, they're never seeing their families. Yeah. Um, and I, I just kept going through Titus and Timothy and saying to myself, well, the requirement for the pastorate is, you know, raising your family well in the Lord. And if I fail at that, uh, then, you know, who cares if I have an MDiv? Right. Um, so yeah, at that point we, we decided I stepped away from seminary, um, and started looking for a journalism job. And that's how I ended up at Guns and Ammo, uh, Peterson's Hunting, uh, in Peoria. Okay. Um, another very important question. Do you know the phrase, if it'll play in Peoria? <laughs> um, I've heard it. Okay, well, I'm going to tell a former Peorian then what that means. Okay. So theater was big in Peoria, and it represented the general public in the United States. If, if a play would play 
in Peoria, then it would be accepted throughout the Midwest. And so the idea was, yeah, if it would play in Peoria, then you know that you've got a, a winner when it comes to theatrical performance. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. If it plays in Peoria. Um, all right. So interesting stuff about your life. And now I don't know how long ago it was that you left that job, but you're now in Colorado and you're doing this thing called the hard man podcast. You're reading, you know, sermons from RL Dabney. And I just, I just scored his discussions book. We've got a, we've got a friend, my buddy is uh, my book guy from Bill Smith's church, Cornerstone Reformed. And, and I text him if he had some Dabney. And this guy used to have about fifteen to 20,000 volumes in his bookstore. Of, it was remarkable, absolutely remarkable, the stuff that he had. But I just scored some Dabney a couple weeks ago. Man, that is great. Yes. And so you're reading Dabney on Stonewall Jackson. You, I, I listened to that, that eulogy. And, oh, man, was it. It was just very interesting, but you're doing the hard man podcast and doing a, a ton of stuff with that. Why don't you tell us about why you're doing that and telling us about your work with the hard man podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of years ago, I was still pastoring in Colorado, I think at this point. Um, and one of the things that I saw, we were in a CREC church. Um, and one of the things I had seen was sort of this, um, and the CREC is different in the, in, in, kind of the mix of people, but there's a, a bent of people that are really into Anglicanism. Okay. So we're, we're, we're talking like the collars and we're talking about, you know, the smells and bells of the service and making sure that we're burning frankincense before the service to make sure it smells all nice. And, you know, different people, again, are going to vary in, in the spectrum that they sort of get into this, but we were in a rural part of America, very blue collar, uh, you know, just working class people. And so there was really this clash. Um, and, and one of the things I had seen with the former pastor that was there was sort of a disdain for working men. Okay. Um, now, at the time, I didn't think, you know, I thought what I was seeing was just, well, this is kind of weird and frustrating and, you know, whatever. Um, and so I ended up going to a conference. Uh, Toby Sumter did a, the majority of the speaking there. Okay. Um, and the conference title, I think, was Fight the Good Fight. Okay. Um, so during that conference, uh, I became exposed to two things. One was The Grace of Shame, uh, Tim Bailey's book. And then the second thing was that Toby had mentioned uh, was Leon Podol's book, The Church Impotent. Okay. So I start reading these things. Um, sort of the doors of my mind are being blown off. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I think some of the stuff that I've experienced in my own life uh, regarding the pastorate and the inability of pastors to relate to working men, I think mm -hmm. it's actually bigger than just something that I've experienced in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. So first thing I, this is several years ago, I wrote a blog post. I republished it a year later. Um, I think it was titled Hard Men in a World of Softness. Okay. Um, the first month I published it, it had something like 270,000 page views. Oh, wow. So I was kind of like, wow, that, that seems, you know, obviously that's a little bit more than my website was getting. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. So that really started, you know, got the wheels in motion. Um, and I said, I think this is a, a bigger issue. And of course I started reading more about it as I did that. I said, you know what, I, I'm going to start this po podcast, the hard men podcast. Um, to help try and develop some of these issues. And as I've done that and tried to recover, as I say, recover biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've just had so many people across the country reach out to me and say, hey, this is, 
you know, this is stuff that we've struggled with our whole life. These are older men, you know, and uh, that sort of just encouraged me to keep going, keep writing about it. And that's great. So a couple of years ago, I see a trailer for Doug Wilson's No Quarter November 2018. You know, yeah. He's sitting on the couch and the couch is on fire and he's talking about this No Quarter November business. Now, I had heard of Doug Wilson. I'd read Future Men years ago, but with his name, you know, all the vitriol that's around the internet about him. And yeah. I, I grew up uh, in my Christian faith, Christian walking in pastoral ministry early on, listening, just like many people near that are close to our age, listening to Driscoll, listening to Chandler, yep. listening to that, just the, the run of the mill, Acts 29 kind of crew. And uh, there was a, a lot of fun things about that in the early mid two thousands. And then a lot of things that ended up for various reasons going crazy. But what I discovered with Doug Wilson in 2018, it sounds like what you discovered with Toby Sumter. And I actually, I got an interview coming out with him tomorrow. Uh, I've learned a ton of, ton of stuff from Toby as well. The no quarter November gave me a vision for pastoral ministry and life as a man. And it goes along with some eschatology stuff, but of, of life on the offense, not life on the defense. And yeah. for, a, for a lot of men, I think they're turning their attention to Moscow and even down to the founders group in Florida. Uh, and I, I and recently talked to another professor who's got some backbone, Dr. Owen Stran. He's one of the few professors that I know of that has some backbone. Yeah. And I, I think men are being drawn to those kinds of ministries to your podcast because there's life on the offense, not just always you know looking to be a good defender here. So what was that paradigm shift like for you? Is it pretty monumental when you're seeing things kind of new, in a new way and connecting the dots? Like, wait a minute, there's some things here that, that maybe I, I've got to discover. Cause for me, I, I feel like for the last couple of years, there's been a, uh, I had this view of complementarianism that was, you know, rooted with Piper and Grudem and Andreas Kostenberger and the council for biblical manhood and womanhood. But this idea of biblical patriarchy even, and, and life on the offense as a Christian man has been revolutionary and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think exactly what you said. So I grew up reading Piper and Grudem and thinking that complementarianism was the gold standard. Like, it, it was right. almost a given. Like, of course we believe that. Um, and I remember, well, Aaron Wren was the first one whom I remember hearing say that there was maybe a problem with complementarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, in an older masculinist blog post, I'd heard Michael Foster say the same thing. And at the time, I'm thinking, what? Uh-huh. Complementarianism is right, dude. John yeah. Piper said so. Right. <laughs> and yeah, so as, as I started reading those things, you know, I just started critically thinking about them and saying, you know what, I think they're right. I think that man's mission needs to be bigger than the woman. Hmm. Um, he can't just exist to please his wife. Um, so yeah, I started to, to break those things down. It was actually, you mentioned this earlier, but it was actually... A couple of years ago, I started reading Stonewall Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I think it's the J- James I. Robertson uh, biography. I think that's right. Um, but what struck me about Stonewall Jackson, right? He gets his nickname because everyone else is retreating. And General B is the one who says, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really just that Jackson was standing like a stone wall. He was an offensive genius on the battlefield. He would attack when other people were retreating. And so something about masculinity struck me. And I said, you know, right now the culture in the church is in retreat. We're living in fear of the LGBT crowd. Mm -hmm. 
people like Chick-fil-A, I mean, they're bowing to it. Everyone's like, dude, we got it. We got to keep our heads down. And I just said to myself, no, right. No, I'm not going to keep my head down. I'm going to, I'm going to push straight in the middle against everything hmm. and against every force on the sexual front that's coming down the pike. And it's been interesting because on the one hand, you, you make incredible enemies. Um, <laughs> well, if you and, just and, reference and, Stonewall Jackson right now, if you just reference him, if you talk about anything that has any relation to do with Confederacy, it's, you know, you're uh, blacklisted, basically. So have you well, gotten, that's the have interesting you gotten thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the interesting thing. Okay. So you, you get that, you get a lot of heat from the green haired man haters. That okay. is expected right mm -hmm. um the people i would say sort of like the anglican priest female rainbow flag twitter profile person right right what's interesting to me is i catch probably the most heated and pointed flack from former seminary students uh guys that i knew pretty well um i quoted stonewall jackson this is probably two months ago and I had a pastor friend reach out to me and he said, how insensitive of you to quote Stonewall Jackson at a time like this. <laughs> and honestly, dude, I, I messaged him back and I was like, are you joking? I, I thought he was kidding. I mean, I wasn't being snarky with him. I was like, right. You've got to be kidding. If you read the biography of Stonewall Jackson, he was one of the, I think one of the greatest Christian men of that time. Hmm. Um, he taught Sunday school classes for slaves. I mean, so to say that in any way he was like this e evil man is really ignorant of history. Um, I think also, you know, the, the other issues. So if you confront anything, you know, in the realm of homosexuality is sin, repent. Right. Um, which I've done. Uh, yeah, you're, you're just going to get you're going to get hate and it's, it's hard too. I think when it's your family, mm -hmm. uh, people that you know that are telling you to shut up and, you know, be a little bit more understanding. Come on, Eric, just be nice. You're hurting people's feelings. Yes. I, I do get that a lot. Well, one of the big things um, I, I a lot of is you're destroying your witness um, that you, people will say this to me and, and I really have never understood it because when you read the gospel, it just doesn't make any sense with anything Jesus has ever said. But people, people will say things to me like, well, you know, I just am putting myself in the position of a sodomite right now. And I'm just not sure that that message would make them feel very loved. And yeah. I'm like, well, I want to speak the truth to them. I want to define love biblically as Christ does. Um, Jesus was very clear. You need, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, John the Baptist is calling people broods of vipers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not trying to speak a message that's palatable, but that people need to hear. Well, I tell you, the church is so have been so ill prepared for 2020. And one of the reasons I've been talking about this a lot, and so listeners mm. you may may have heard me say this in some other interviews or even from just the podcast, but obedience to God goes to die on the altar of public witness. And one of the things that oh, man. one of the one of the things that the missional church has done and the missional church movement from, from Ed Stetzer's book to all the training that churches and planters get when they go to plant churches. It's mission, 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 mission at the expense of, of ecclesiology, at the expense of almost everything else. It's just mission, mission, mission. And so we're not prepared for 2020 to obey God through difficulty or train the Christians how to obey God and be on, be on actual mission. 
And instead, we're bowing the knee, we're raising the fist, we're capitulating on everything, and we have no backbone whatsoever. We're so embarrassed about what God has to say on basic things because we're trying to protect or safeguard this public witness. And so we're disobeying God and thinking we're obeying him in the process. And it's very sad to see, and we see it everywhere. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great point. Um, I had spent a number of years in sort of church plants with Acts 29. And one of the things that I became most disgusted about uh, with the movement in general is not everybody was this way, but really I felt like the push behind that denomination was marketing. Mm -hmm. Like you'd come into a church and it was like, how can we market this? How can we brand this? We need the right branding. Um, And it really led down the path of, how do we soften the message to make it palatable to people in this area and as least offensive as possible? And man, again, like with the Hard Man podcast, I really tried to model it more after the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, you know, Matthew 11, Jesus says John wasn't soft. Malikos this is where I get the concept for hardness. Mm. John's ministry is like, yeah, they're going to hate you, bro. Just get yeah. over it. Mm-hmm. it. It's good for you to be hated. You should speak the truth. You should expect, as Jesus said, to be hated and persecuted and run out of the church by the people who currently have the power. That's fine. That's good. That's probably what obedience right now to Jesus looks like. Yeah. And I tell you, the the motive and our mutual friend, Brian Sove, we're dropping a lot of names here. Sorry for for people if you get annoyed (laughs) by that. But our, our buddy, Brian, he's talked to me about this and we talked a little bit about the third way and how the gospel coalition and a lot of ministries that are big, large evangelical ministries, they're always trying to find the third way with everything. Yeah. And typically with the third way, it's, it's always motive. It's not always, but most of the time it's motivated over embarrassment of actual texts in the scripture. And right. And and so to, to kind of safeguard our public, you know, that we just want to be liked so bad that we're not willing to be right. that prophetic voice like John the Baptist and say, hey, you can't have her as your wife. You can't do that. That violates right. God's law. We want people to like us. And after all, Paul says, become all things to all people. So by all means, we may, may win some, um, you know, uh, but it doesn't mean, you know, clearly, it doesn't mean disobey God or become soft on truth to make people feel better. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, I've talked to Brian as well about those things but you know and and he's been quick to point out look if your goal is to be big fast and famous like you're not going to do that by preaching hard truths so that's sort of the other point that i've tried to drive at is look men hard men are they're hard biblically because they've been disciplined by hard truths they've come under the disciplining hand of their father hebrews 12 um and like christ you learn discipline and you learn obedience through what you suffer. So just trying to encourage men in that, encourage them in the hard way. Mostly, I would say my approach as compared to like an Ed Stetzer is completely opposite. I say, whatever the culture is doing, figure that out and then go 180 out. Go 180 <laughs> degrees opposite of what they're doing. That's probably a better strategy. That's a good plan. That's a good, well, there's similar things, what you're trying to accomplish in the life of men in general that mm-hmm. I'm trying to accomplish with pastors. And this, this ministry started as a pastor care ministry and working with pastors who have morally failed, working with churches who had some, you know, thing that went, went wrong at their church and they need some outside consulting work, working with elder teams. And so we do re- care, coaching, 
resources and events. That's kind of the, the four categories of, of things that we do. But this has kind of morphed into a pastor courage ministry where yeah. we're wanting to grab, especially with 2020, grab pastors by the shoulders and scream at them and say, get a backbone. Don't be ashamed of the word of God. Stand up and preach. And right. one of the things that challenged me in 2018 along the same lines of that No Quarter November video that I, that I saw um, was preaching a sermon on Luke chapter nine. And Eric, I tell you, I apologize. Like this, this is, it set me on course. And I would say that most people hearing me preach over the last 10 years would say that I'm a, a man, always been a man of conviction, always been an expositional preacher and want to say what God has to say. Who cares what you think? Who cares what you feel? Uh, what does God have to say? Lines like that. But when this got a hold of me and I applied this to many different things in the denomination I serve in the network. I'm a part of the Sojourn Network, which you're probably familiar with. Yep. And, uh, and I don't know how much longer that relationship I'm expecting at some point, I'm either going to get kicked out or, and if I do, <laughs> I'm going to go out loudly and right. uh, kind of thing. But here's what Luke chapter nine said, and this passage really struck me for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And wow. we, we don't get to be ashamed of what God has to say. We don't get to be embarrassed. So I started asking the question, what am I embarrassed of? Is there anything that I want to tread lightly about? Am I, is there anything specifically, specifically in areas of, of manhood and womanhood with my church, with a church I get to serve? Am I scared of the women of our church? Am I scared of women in general to say what God has to say to them? Am I scared of homosexual communities in my city? Am I, what am I scared of? And really asking that question and, and really doing that hard work to say, I can't be scared of anything that God has to say or embarrassed, I mean, of anything that God has to say. Right. And I want pastors, and it sounds like you want men to be unleashed to say, who cares what people think? Don't be an, a jerk on purpose, but never apologize for what God has to say. Yeah, that's right. And, and a lot of my ministry, too it really has, I think, reached a lot of pastors, which is encouraging to me. I was sort of speaking from a pastoral heart um, in writing a lot of these things. And the reason was because I was finding, as I was preaching week by week, I was noticing in myself and in my own heart that the biggest battle was about courage. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I saw, again, with myself and then with other pastors was there is a way to preach in a, in a reformed, theologically sound way, and yet tiptoe and dance around all the difficult issues that are going to piss people off in your church. So, you know, for instance, like in, in our church at the time, uh, one of the uh, leaders, the elders' wives, basically is a raging feminist. Okay. She's basically running the show. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, I'd go through a passage and I think, you know, I know that if I was really faithful in applying this passage, I probably have an elder and a wife who are ready to step down. Yeah. Um, not because I'm going to call them out in the sermon, but just being faithful with this text, it's probably going to cause issues. And so finally I said, you know, look, I need to be courageous and I need to be bold. And it was actually a, another pastor in town who was an Assemblies of God pastor and I told him, I just sort of in confession, I said, you know, if I, if I preach these things, I think I'm going to get fired. Hmm. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, you have been called by God to shepherd this flock. You will be held accountable to him, not to them. I mean, obviously, you have to be faithful as God's called you to serve them. 
but ultimately you will answer to God for the way that you either are or are not faithful in preaching the truth. Yeah. So really through that, it's like, no, man, I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to go after the issues that I know people don't want to hear about. Um, and yeah, through that ministry, uh, this was sort of the end of the ministry. Okay. Uh, I preached a series on holiness. Yeah. So I had an elder come to me and tell me three sermons into this series on holiness. If you're going to keep preaching like that, you're going to be out of a job. And I said to him, I, I said, what about my sermon wasn't scriptural? What about the passage without holiness, you shall not see God. And, and he said, he said, that's just not anything that anyone here wants to hear about. And I remember thinking, you know, at that point it was like, well, you know, then the problem's with you. All I can, all I can do is be faithful to the text and, and to Christ. Cause we were actually both in agreement that that's what it said. He just, he just didn't want to want to hear that. Right. Yeah. And praise God for that Pentecostal pastor that called you out and challenged <laughs> you, you know, right. Isn't that great? A part of the body of Christ that we wouldn't expect. And here he is, you know, right. encourage, encouraging you. And Hey, this has been a lot of fun, Eric. I, I really appreciate this. And I think our guys, if they've been listening to the show for a while, I, they probably already know who you are again, like I said in the beginning, but why don't you go ahead and tell them where they can find your stuff. If they're interested in the hard man podcast or any of the writing that you've done, tell them where they can find more about all that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to my website. That's ericcon.com, E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N.com. You can also find the Hard Men podcast on Spotify, on Apple and iTunes, um, and a bunch of other places as well. Awesome. Dude, I wish we could go on for another hour or so. Maybe we'll have to do, <laughs> do this again a couple months down the road yeah. or something like that. But uh, any final word? And oh, yeah, I always ask the last question. I, I always put it on the T and set people up to praise God for his grace. And so I always just ask, you know, Eric, why do you love Jesus so much? So go ahead and give us that answer and then we'll call it, call it a wrap after that. Why do you love Jesus so much? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think especially right now in this season, uh, because there is intense suffering and there's intense trials in my life, and many other people's lives. And I have a savior who goes before me as an elder brother and he gives an example of how to suffer and to be hardened and, and through all of that to know that I'm already righteous because of his work on the cross and I can stand righteous before the Father because of him. Amen. Well, that's Dynamite Stuff. Thanks so much for listening, folks. We've been listening to Eric Kahn. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.